Well, good evening, church. Welcome to Ash Wednesday. And uh, this evening, as we begin the season of Lent, uh, we want to fix our eyes upon God. And so uh, what I want to do tonight is I want to start us off with a prayer from the Book of Common Prayer that's traditionally spoken on Ash Wednesday at this service. And so join me in praying. Almighty and everlasting God, you hate nothing you have made and forgive the sins of all who are penitent. Create and make in us new and contrite hearts that we, worthily lamenting our sins and acknowledging our wretchedness, may obtain of you the God of all mercy, perfect remission and forgiveness. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. So as I said, Lent marks the beginning, or Ash Wednesday marks the beginning of the season of Lent. And the season of Lent is the 45 days that lead up to the celebration of Jesus' resurrection on Easter. And during the season of Lent, we're going to talk a lot about 40 days. And, and many people know Lent as being this 40 days of fasting that's this Catholic thing that their friends talk about. Anybody think that Lent is just a Catholic thing? Like, I, I grew up thinking Lent was just a Catholic thing. I was like, Lent is something that Catholics do. You give up something for 40 days, and I don't know why. <laughs> that, that's really the way I was as a kid. And, and so, um, but Lent is 45 days. 40 days are meant for us to focus on our mortality and focus on, on fasting and, and really um, dedicating ourselves to the Lord. But the five Sundays in the season of Lent are meant for rejoicing because Jesus rose from the grave on Sunday. And so we get to celebrate that. And so as we talk about this, we, we, we're looking forward to the hope that we're celebrating on Easter. But Lent isn't just a Catholic thing. Many Protestant and Eastern Orthodox churches observe the season of Lent and have for hundreds of years. It's not an obligation, but they observe it through faith. According to the Book of Common Prayer, which is the Anglican book uh, of liturgy, they say this uh, regarding um, Ash Wednesday and the season of Lent. The first Christians observed with great devotion the days of our Lord's passion and resurrection. And it became the custom of the church to prepare for them by a season of penitence and fasting. This season of Lent provided a time in which converts to the faith were prepared for holy baptism. It was also a time when those who, because of notorious sins, had been separated from the body of the faithful were reconciled by penitence and forgiveness and restored to the fellowship of the church. Thereby the whole congregation was put in mind of the message of pardon and absolution set forth in the gospel of our Savior, and of the need which all Christians continually have to renew their repentance and faith. During the season, Christians are invited to the observance of a Holy Lent by self-examination and repentance, by prayer, fasting, and self-denial, and by reading and meditating on God's holy word. And so with that, the purpose 
of observing Lent is to be reminded of our mortality, to be reminded that one day we will die and our need of Jesus as our Savior. And so we can spend time during this season coming before Christ in humility, seeking forgiveness. And so Lent isn't something that's required for our salvation, but it can be very good for our souls, church. And so um, as we get into what we're going to look at this morning, we're going to be in the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 3, and that's on page 554 in the Bibles around the room, if you'd like to turn there. And as you're turning there, um, I I wonder if you guys can finish this statement for me. There are two things you can count on in life. Death and taxes, right? It's something that maybe you heard your parents say, your grandparents say, something that people oftentimes, uh, they, they just spout these things, and this is one of the things that you hear. But from the text that we're going to look at today in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, it would seem that the preacher would agree with us on one of those, but he wants to add another one to the list, as we'll look at this morning. And so the main point of what we're going to look at this morning from Ecclesia, or this evening, I'm so used to it being morning, so um, the, the main thing that we're going to look at from Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes chapter 3 this evening is that there are two things that you can count on in life, death and judgment. So we're going to start in verse 16. Moreover, I saw under the sun that in the place of justice, even there was wickedness. And in the place of righteousness, even there was wickedness. I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked. For there is a time for every matter and for every work. I said in my heart with regard to the children of man that God is testing them that they may see that they themselves are but beasts. For what happens to the children of man and what happens to the beasts is the same. As one dies, so dies the other. They all have the same breath and man has no advantage Over the beasts, for all is vanity. All go to one place. All are from the dust, and to dust all return. Who knows whether the spirit of man goes upward, and the spirit of the beast goes down into the earth? So I saw that there is nothing better than that a man should rejoice in his work, for that is his lot. Who can bring him to see what will be after him? So in these verses, we're brought face to face with the reality that death and judgment await us all. And so the preacher starts in verse 16 with an observation. He says that in the place of justice and in the place of righteousness, there is wickedness. As people, God has written his law on our hearts so that we would know the difference between right and wrong. And I tell you what, I know when somebody wrongs me. You guys ever driving down the street and somebody cuts you off and like nothing gets my blood boiling like that perceived slight that I have incurred. And we're that way with any form of injustice 
that we see or even hear about. Sometimes just thinking about possible injustices that could occur get me all worked up. And so we have this innate sense of wanting to see wrongs made right. But what the preacher has seen and what we know to be true is that wrongs aren't always made right. Justice is corrupted. And just as we read here, in the place of justice, there is often wickedness. There's account after account of people who have been wrongly accused and wrongly convicted of crimes, and then decades later, because of DNA evidence, they've been exonerated. Why was that so? Because in the place of justice, there's wickedness. This isn't only true for the accused, but it's also true for the abused. I've sat and heard many people share stories of horrific things that they have endured at the hands of others. And when they try to bring it to light, to people who should care for them, who should want justice for them, and who should want to protect them, they were instead denied it. And some of them were even made to feel that it was their fault that they were victimized. Because in the place of justice, there's wickedness. And the same is true with righteousness. We know what is right, but do we always do it? And are there times when we do what's right, but for the wrong reason? It's because in the place of righteousness, there is wickedness. But in verse 17, the preacher says that it won't always be so. That God will judge the righteous and the wicked. All the wrongs will be made right. And all the motives will be brought to the light. What we do isn't hidden from God. He hasn't forgotten. He didn't miss that thing. Whether it was something that you did or something done to you, he's keeping account of it all. And in the end, there will be judgment. God will judge the righteous and the wicked. It's part of the reason why he came was that he himself was judged in our place on the cross for our sins so that we could stand before him in the end and he could say, well done. He could say, they're with me. I've paid for them. And so the preacher now, after speaking of judgment, he turns to the mortality of man. In verse 18, he says, I said in my heart with regard to the children of man that God is testing them, or rather that God is exposing them that they may see that they themselves are but beasts. And so what he's getting at here is that man, like animals, we can behave as beasts. 
through our actions, we see that we wrong one another. We harm one another. But then he goes on even further and says that the same thing that happens to animals in the end happens to man in the end. We die. We have this same fate. We might breathe the same air. We were made from the same dust. And to that same dust, one day we will return. And so, in the beginning, we see how God did create us. And in the beginning, we see that man has this fundamentally different relationship with God than the animals. But that's of no advantage to us because we all still die. The author of Hebrews says it like this. It is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. It's for this reason, church, that we observe Lent. We may not think about it often, but our days are numbered. The day is coming when we will all breathe our last. And outside of Christ, there's no hope for us. In 1 Corinthians 15, when Paul is giving his great treatise on the resurrection, he says that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. And that our mortal bodies must put on immortality. And this is only possible through Jesus' death and resurrection. So church, I want us to use these next 40 days to prepare our hearts to celebrate the fact that on the cross, Jesus took on our mortality so that he could give us his immortality. This is the heart of our faith. This is why we gather each and every week and we need to be reminded of this truth. We observe Lent not only in light of our mortality, but in light of the coming judgment. This is why the season of Lent is marked by repentance as well. After death comes the judgment. And so church, we need to take a, a chance to look at our lives during this season. To ask some of these questions. Like, are there things in your life that don't line up with God's standards? Are you striving after possessions or positions at the cost of stepping on others? Are you placing your hope in someone or something other than God? Are you trying to be the Lord of your life? In the place of righteousness, is their wickedness. And as we look at these things, church, as God begins to reveal the truth about who we are and how we are living, we need to come humbly before him in repentance, grateful that he has provided a way through Jesus that we can be forgiven. So part of Lent also does include this fasting or this self-denial piece. And I remember when I was a kid one time, I, I, I fasted candy. And I remember being at one of my grandma's friend's house, 
and she offered me some Skittles. And I was like, you know what? I, I gave up candy for Lent. And she's like, well, it's basically just fruit anyways, right? And, and so like when we choose what we're going to give up, let's not try and find some backdoor way around it. And let's actually make it mean something because I could tell you right now I'm giving up Brussels sprouts for Lent and I'd probably carry it on for like the next 40 Lents because I can't stand them and I don't ever eat them. And that's not what God is asking for us here. That's not what this time of fasting and self-denial is supposed to be. The purpose of giving something up is that it should be to put God back in the place in our lives that he deserves to be in. And so when you're considering fasting during this season or considering practicing some form of self-denial this season, think about this. Is there something in your life that brings you joy above God? Is there something that you run to before you run to God? Is there a place where you devote most of your time and energy? Something that you value above God? If so, consider giving those things up. Those things that become this crutch that we lean on or this thing that we're seeking after outside of us seeking after God. And maybe during this season of Lent, it's not that you need to give something up, but maybe it's that you need to add something into your life to put God in that place that he deserves to be. It might look like praying on a daily basis or getting in God's word on a daily basis, or maybe even just coming to church on a weekly basis. Maybe it's you finally committing to joining a community group and being in community during this season. Maybe it's something more. Maybe God's calling you to meditate on his word and memorize scripture. Or maybe he's calling you to practice um, a, a time of fasting during this season. Whatever it is, remember that we aren't doing this out of obligation to the church or to God, but we're doing it knowing that if we seek God, we will find him. And that's our goal in this season, church. We want to find Jesus. We want to make him, we want to make much of him in our lives. We want to put him back in the place that he deserves to be. So consider how you might do that over these next 40 days that we might prepare our hearts to celebrate his death and ultimately his resurrection that gives us life. Let's pray. God, we know that death and judgment await us, but so often we live as if they don't. Forgive us, God. Help us to be mindful of our mortality. I pray as we begin this season of Lent and look forward to the celebration of your death and resurrection that you would prepare our hearts to encounter you and worship you. Draw us deeper into relationship with you. I pray during this season that our gratitude for what you have done for us would grow, God, and that you would increase in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.